the little yellow bone hook moving mechanically between her fingers. The great iron pot boiled as Dad took it from the fire, emptying the water into the bath where he had poured an enamel bucketful of cold water from the tap in the back kitchen. Clouds of steam rose to the beamed ceiling. The lamp shone like the sun trying hard on a misty day to break through in early morning. Mother elbowed the hot water, pouring more cold into the bath until it was ready for my weekly Friday night public naked episode. Grandad's chair, Dad's chair, were pulled back from the fire. Only Grandma stayed, her crocheting laid aside with my brother Tom on her knee. He was older, so that his turn in the bath came later. The sunlight soap, the flannel... The toweling down in front of the audience was a bit public for me. First on went the flannel vest, then the striped winciette sleeping suit, a boiler suit outfit all in one, and then to Grandma's knee for prayers, looking up as I did so to this ample body in shining black silk and the smell of mothballs and eucalyptus. Every breath she took as her frame ebbed and flowed like a gentle tide smelt of eucalyptus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. All went well until it came to pity my simplicity. I couldn't say it, but a whispered chant from my elders remedied that. Up the winding stairs, Mother shepherded me to the little iron bedstead with brass knobs. She held an enamelled green candlestick. The candlelight dimly lit the room. A beamed ceiling sloped towards the dormer window. In a saucer with a little water, one of Price's nightlights on the chest of drawers created a semblance of light. Company in the dark... Outside in the yard, a cow mooed for her calf. An owl hooted to wit to woo by the barn. And I was asleep. Not long after this, a virulent flu epidemic struck England, said to have returned with soldiers from France. Our family, as many others, was laid low. The four bedrooms rang with coughs and sneezes, shivers and sweats. Dad alone remained on his feet. He sent a wire to Auntie Polly, who lived with Uncle Job, in a cottage near Beckford Inn, Brookside. She was to arrive on the 8.50 train. Little George Earls, under cowman, met her with flour and the dray. He was collecting the milk churns from Fuller's of Birmingham. Auntie Polly, stout like all the family, overfed, with rosy cheeks, put her foot on the hub of the dray wheel. George, with tight reins on the young mare, sat on a corn sack in front. Auntie almost made it, but halfway between the station yard and the prepared seat of hay on the dray bed, she fell, broke her arm, and had to return home on the 940 train. George arrived without the willing nurse, and Dad coped with my two grandparents, mother, us two boys, and the baby girl. It wasn't long before Mother was up and about doling out the doctor's medicine, rubbing my chest and back with camphorated oil. 
From my bedroom window I could see the great green churchyard yew tree, the black naked beech trees, and could distinguish faces formed by the gnarled mossy cider apple tree in the orchard. Ponto, the odd job man, wheeled a four-wheeled carriage, a miniature market gardener's dray up the village from Beckford. Dad said it was the beer, which puzzled me even more as I saw no barrel. Then I understood that Stocky, the gravedigger, had been busy burying the victims of the flu plague. What concoctions we swallowed morning, noon and night apart from the doctor's medicine. Linseed and licorice, onion gruel, then the final dose when I was up, Ipecacuana wine, which took mucus off the chest and caused the vomiting to clear everything from the stomach.